1: This is Blue Moon. It's the original, fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's week. It's your club, and this is your show.
2: For the third time this season, Manchester City have had to come from behind to get something out of a game. Extend that to the back end of last season, and it's five times in ten matches. But, crucially, Pep Guardiola's side haven't lost any of them. It was the late show against Borussia Dortmund on Wednesday night, but a pair of brilliant goals completed the turnaround. And now, after a Premier League break, it's back to domestic action. Wolves away is up next, and we'll hear from Dave Azapardi from Talking Wolves to get an insight into this weekend's opposition. And for the first time in 70 years, City have now played a game with a king on the UK throne. We'll hear from historian Dr Gary James about how City have fared around the changes of monarchs in the past. Plus, author Simon Curtis will be on the show a bit later on about his new book, City in Europe. All that to come, I'm David with me this week for this week's Blue Moon podcast is City fan Paul Atherton. Good evening, are you okay? Not too bad, thank you. And the artist formerly known as the Paris Angel, it's Mako.
3: <laughs> yeah, mate. you're All right,
2: not too bad, thanks. How are you, Mako? It's been a while.
3: Yeah, good. Yeah, it's been actually we just well, about three years.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Nothing, nothing's happened in between. Quite, quite, much. quite, quite time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in all that. Um, so uh, let's let's start with the one game that uh, that went ahead this week uh, in uh, Borussia Dortmund in the uh, in the Champions League. Um, Paul, for the what feels like hundredth time this season, uh, City have won a game that in years gone by they probably wouldn't have won. Um, are you getting a bit more confidence about the fact that City keep being able to turn around these leads or uh, these these deficits, or are you starting to think they can't get away with it forever?
4: Well, they can't get away with it forever. I mean, the amount of times we've gone down recently and somehow we've come back and in, it's in, in miraculous recovery. It's brilliant, but we, you know, you can't keep relying on that. I think you are right that years ago, we would have had to play at our absolute best to have a chance against a team like, like Dortmund. And in this case, we weren't our best. Thankfully, we conceded with enough time to try and recover the performance because I think that was the best result really because we got the win. We've underperformed 60, 70 minutes that there's enough like harsh lessons coming out of it for the for the team, and, and I'm sure the manager's passed it on. But then we've still got a good result out the end of it, and we still got a good sort of momentum because we did recover it and we did sort of step it up towards the end. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a strange one, really. Um, yeah, but...
2: yeah. Marco, where do you think this ability to play badly and then suddenly play well for the last 10 minutes and win the game has come from?
3: Um, well, last night in particular, I mean, it's always obviously on a game by game by game basis but I mean last night obviously the substitutions were spot on um and then just never underestimate the influence of Harland because he's just I mean I just think he's absolutely incredible I mean I know everyone's everyone's talking about him and about how good he is but even when he's not doing something he's doing something if that makes sense He's, i mean like yeah even when he's not
2: touching the ball he's doing something (laughs)
3: yeah i mean everything is is just kind of it's like an art it's just everything was for that last moment and and even he's got people he he looks like he's making just jogging things but he's always tiring people out and i mean i know jet as a team as a whole that's what we do we will wear them out um but him in particular it's just everything for a reason uh it seems i mean so, going back to your question, I think don't underestimate his influence for a start. And then I'm actually quite, I'm actually fairly relaxed about the us digging ourselves out of these holes yeah. late on, because because you'll get teams who, yeah, they they they, they want to stop us playing, but then if they if they see other games where other teams have tried to stop us playing, it gets to eight to five minutes, they're knackered. And then we still score, so they might actually think, "Well, hang on a minute, is it actually worth doing that?" Because they're going to score anyway. So do we go a little bit earlier? But then you've got the situation like with West Ham, where the first time they actually tried anything positive within minutes, we'd, we'd scored yeah. because they'd left gaps. So I'm fairly. I know last night it was slow. It was. It was a bit lethargic. Things weren't working on the on the flanks. But I've turned into this really boring person who just actually just looks at it and just, like, I'm actually quite relaxed about this. I trusted the manager. I trusted the process. And he inverted <laughs> <laughs> there. Uh, and then uh, – and. Be- and then I like the player, I like all the players. <laughs> it's like, it's a very weird experience for me because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's not how I've watched uh, City all, all over these years. And like I say, I was fairly relaxed.
2: It makes a change from having to go back to the 90s and not liking the players, isn't it? It's, uh, oh yeah, it's, despised. It's, it's... I despised
3: every single one of them barking Yeah. But it, but <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Paul, the, the, the changes that Maka talks about there, I mean, Guardiola made a triple substitution, which I, I get, I get that it's different now that they're off, like, that He's got five subs available to him, but it, it was it was a bold move. Bernardo Foden and Alvarez all on completely changed the tempo of the game, didn't
4: it? Completely. I mean, it, it was a change between doing the same thing every time the ball got out wide to having more energy, more lack of you know lack of predictability with players moving in and out, not necessarily just sticking on the wing, but then also having the wit for Foden on his left foot on the left, and then De Bruyne being pushed out on the right on his right foot, getting crosses in and they just made so much difference it kind of it made the game wider it stretched the the Dortmund defense a lot more it it, it was as mac said it was it was the substitutions that made that difference oh substitutions then probably impetus that we needed that goal almost to kick us on i think if we t- if we didn't concede i don't think we would have stepped up the performance in the way that we did
2: yeah, I do wonder if Guardiola was going to do uh, a, a three-way change. If it, if he like, he was he was already getting Alvarez ready to come on, and I wonder if the fact that Dortmund scored pretty much straight away at that point then made his mind up to say, "Look, the tempo just needs to change." And like, as you mm. say, Paul, it was it was just really slow, wasn't it?
4: It was. It was just the same 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 um, same moves every time, and it's one of those things where you want to rotate for the Premier League team get Mahrez and Grealish into the, you know, get the season started almost. And it and again, for both of them, it hasn't, you know, through injuries and, and through, through form. And it, it's just, you need those games to go well and you've got a good story coming out of it that one of them's come out and they scored a goal and they're going to kick on and start getting back into the first team. But it just doesn't happen sometimes. And then you're reliant on your Premier League first team coming in and changing the game. Um, so that was the disappointment I thought coming from it. But I think Dortmund played played a really good game against against them and it just, we just we're just far too narrow because of the way we're set up.
2: Yeah, let's talk about the setup a little bit, uh Maka, because um there's people um who will routinely ask questions to the podcast, both here and uh the the one I do with the athletic, why always us, um about the fact that Guardiola loves to play these inverted wingers. He loves a right footer on the left and a left footer on the right in Grealish and Maras um is that a problem when you've got a right footer in Cancelo often having to play left back uh, behind him and then a a fullback a fullback who is the center back in John Stones playing behind the other one is, like is, does that just make the pitch too narrow
3: yeah it possibly does i mean like last night i mean taking away the, before going on to the fullbacks i mean they were just going into... He, like like Parcel said it, it it was just kind of they were they were running into traffic then it was just start again and but he, he, yeah it just it just didn't it just didn't work um i don't think in jet in ge- i wouldn't say in general that it's it's time to kind of like just forget about it. forget about inverted wig because it's not working um but last night was a prime example when it doesn't work because they're basically they're running into traffic the all the all the pass pass lines are actually blocked off they were really well organized and it simply didn't work. Um, I, do, I do understand that with Cancelo. I think that's a very good point. Um, he's hardly going going to go on the overlap. Is he Tearing down because he's not really trust his left foot too much? Doesn't need a left uh, foot though, does he?
2: With a, with the quality of the outside of his right and, it, foot. And,
3: he's, and he's weird, Cancelo, because he, he he is better at left back in terms of not his defending because they have an issue with his defending at left back. But anyway, <laughs> but what that's not what he's there for. He's, but he's much, much better at left back as a creative player, which is what he's there for. Um, then he's at right. Then he's at right back. So I have no problem with him being there. But no, no, it's a, it's a very valid point about him being behind Grealish. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly worried about Grealish last year. But I mean, he does need to start doing a little bit more. Um, and like I say, I'm not massively worried this, this year either. But he, he does need to start doing a bit. I think.
2: Yeah. Paul, are you, um, are you quite relaxed about Grealish or is it, uh, uh, again, like Macca, is it the fact that the second season's here now, it's time to, to to kind of kick on? I'm quite relaxed
4: as a squad player, but I think for for the sort of price tag and what we've bought him for, I am a bit concerned because he's, o- he's only really played on that left wing when he played like the number nine, false nine, whatever it is. He, he was quite poor, I think, last year when he played there one or two times.
2: That price, so, price tags really, it's going to hang around his neck, isn't it? it? It is because, because
4: you know, Mahrez over the last two, three seasons has been amongst our top scorers and he's turned it on at the key times. Sterling, you know, would have some poor games, but he would always score a lot of goals when he played. Jesus would when he came on. So it's kind of, you, you judge Grealish by his stats almost, because you've got enough possession players in the team that, you know, is he creating enough? Is he scoring enough? And that hasn't happened yet. And he was injured quite a lot last team. It was hard. We had quite of an established eleven. It was hard for him to break into. Foden, obviously, he was he was almost trying to replace on that left. But um, you know, as, as time goes on, you want to see a bit more from him. So I think he's always going to fit into the team and do well and retain possession, and he will he will chip in every so often. But it's you know to be to take up one of the three most attacking parts of of, of the city team. You need just to start, need to be like you know an almost guaranteed assist assist per game sort of ratio, and he's not he's not delivering that at the moment.
2: Yeah, Maka, are you? Uh, do you have any issues with um, kind of? Uh, it's clear Mares is out of form at the moment, and he's really struggled at the start of this season. Like, it, 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 is this a problem at the moment, or is it just something that he needs to play through? I, I,
3: I have no problem. I have no problem with Mares. I mean, I, you've, he's shown how good he is. And yeah, I th- I'd like to say it. it's just one of those. It's a confidence thing. I think he, I, I get the impression he wants to be one of the the kind of <laughs> the big men who, who's playing all the time, and 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 he's not. So I've probably been a bit of a hit to his ego and and everything like that. And, and, and people go through runs of form where they're not not as good as they they possibly can be. So no, I've I've no problem with that. But just sorry, just going back to Grealish. But there is also a possibility that that's not his position.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: they need to just say, "Well, maybe try him centrally when yeah. you can." I know there's not a lot of options all the time or opportunities all the time in our in our strongest side, but that's he was the main man at Villa, he, and I think he's a good enough footballer. And it is a it is, it is a difficult position to try and get your head around if you've not you've not done it all your life. I mean, he's not he's not a kid. I mean, he's 20, what is it, 28.
2: Don't know. Sounds sounds like
3: a kid though to me, Michael. <laughs> no, 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 no. But well, what I mean is he's 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 played a lot of football and not always in that position. So if he, if if he's not good there, it might just not be his position.
4: It's, it's that position in the Pep team as well, isn't it? It's like you you don't leave that touch line because we exactly. need to use to create width rather than roam. And it's a lot of concentration. You know, as a right footer on there, there's only so much you can you can do at times. Yeah, um, no, totally
2: agree. Yeah. Yeah, he I mean, in fairness to him though, Paul, he was—he I, I, made a couple of things happen in that first half. He looked like the, the the player that would make something happen for City in that first half, albeit you know he didn't play very well and the team didn't play very well. And the, I think the two shots he had were blocked, but like he was in the position to get something, if you know what I mean. Does that yeah. count for anything? It does because he's getting there, but
4: then. It's like Sterling was getting the right places and you miss a few, but he'd, sc- he'd score a lot. Whereas with with Grealish, if it, a protracted period, he's just getting there, then scuffing it. And it, I don't know. You've got to for that level of ability in that team, you need to be taking there.
2: Yeah,
4: it's like every time that you know Harlan's obviously an exception, but every time he gets, he needs to be taking his opportunity.
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's talk about those uh, taking opportunities because we've got uh, we, well we've got we're over ten minutes in and we've not mentioned two of the greatest goals that have happened on uh, for City in the Champions League. Um, that weirdly, I really like this stat Maca. Um That was John Stones's thirteenth City goal and right. Erling Haaland's thirteenth City goal. Right, okay, um, <laughs> thanks to Stat City for for finding that <laughs> one. Uh, but I, I just like the contrast of that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, it's got I mean, I mean Stones's was brilliant. I mean, I love. I love John Stones. Anyway, he's just great. I mean, he's not a right back, but he did all right. But that was just a fantastic, a fantastic goal, Haalands. So I'm in the south stand, at obviously at the opposite end. I didn't realize how good that goal was until I got home and watched it on telly. Yeah, I just thought he just stuck a leg out. I, I didn't, I didn't appreciate how good Cancelo's ball was either. I mean, both of them were things of beauty. But I mean, that goal is just unreal. Like. You, I said exactly the thing I think you said about what Paul Dickoff said. I couldn't even get my head that high.
2: Yeah, I was I, I was just about to uh, t- I, I was just about to drop that name in there. Then I was gonna, sorry, so, sorry. I, I, yeah, so no way yeah, you stole my thunder. I was going to say Paul. I, uh, I, I I the name drop I have is that Paul Dickoff uh, said in a WhatsApp group that I'm in mean, that he can't even get his head that high. And I completely forgot, mm. Mackie, You must. I think you're about the same height as him, aren't you? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, similar.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, like honestly, Paul, when when De Bruyne had Sent that bouncing ball to John Stones, and he shaped up to it. It you are like, what the hell are you doing?
4: I don't know. I, uh, I thought I don't know. I feel, I feel like he was so unblocked, and he, you know, it's quite a good technical player. He doesn't often shoot, does he, John Stones? It's usually a tapping or a header. Yeah, th- Thirteen goals hotly. since
2: twenty sixteen. Kinda of says why? <laughs> yeah, I
3: know.
4: Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he, he was so he was so open, and it was the right pace, and we'd been trying all sorts, and it wasn't working. You know, it's like the company versus Leicester. Sometimes you if you if you like, you know, within twenty yards of the goal, just hit it sometimes. So
2: yeah. yeah. So so now, now that we've now that I've just made you say that, um, can you explain mm. to me why you never take the shot on?
4: I prefer to dribble it past the keeper a couple yeah, of times that's... first and then hit then hit it wide.
2: Yeah, I've played in enough teams with you to that to to see that every time the shot's on, um, you you just turn it down for some reason. Um uh, Maca, I'm going to make you decide now: the uh, the Cancelo the, the Cancelo assist or the Harland finish, which was better?
3: Ooh. You know what? I'm going to go for the Cancelo assist because without that, I'd, you wouldn't have had the finish.
2: <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, <laughs> I put it to you though, Paul, that Cancelo probably does that all the time with the outside of his foot because he's uh, he just does not use his left. So <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, I, the, the the pass is unbelievable. I think because Cancel does it all the time, I'm probably kind of playing it down because, you know, he hit it in the area. It wasn't exactly on Haaland's head, was it? You know, he had to he had to get his left yeah. foot behind I can't even describe how he, I can't even describe how that actually transpired that goal, but he had to kind of only Haaland is probably the only player with that range or ability to get his foot up there. And to yeah. do it and to redirect it because he knew all he knew was I have to get my foot up there, let it hit my foot and get it on target, and there's a good chance it's going in. It's just the genius of having that level of striker with that range. You know, that's going over. You could stack two Aguerros on top of each other, and he wasn't going to get near that ball, was he? <laughs> so, yeah.
2: yeah.
3: Um, Ruth, my wife, asked how he did it this morning, like, because she'd not seen it on telly. So just this morning, how it was, and I tried tried to do it, and now I did myself a serious mistake. I'll be at five foot four and not
4: six
2: foot four. Yeah. Did you rip your, rip your pants as you did it? Yeah. Or? Yeah. Sorry, I'm still I'm still distracted by this this image of two Aguero's stood on top of each other, just like <laughs> like you know, like wearing a really long duffel coat, yeah. trying to get in a club. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get in a club, just uh, like uh, one stood on the other shoulders to see what's going on. Yeah.
1: Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast.
2: The majority of fans, uh, Wednesday's game against Dortmund was the first time that City have played with a king on the throne of the United Kingdom. I've been speaking to the football historian, Dr Gary James, to find out more about City and the monarchy.
5: I mean, the last time um, we played a, a league game under a king was... Well, obviously, seventy years ago, it's it's nineteen fifty-two. I, I checked up on it actually to see where it was before because I was thinking, oh, I wonder where it was, and it was a two-all draw with Arsenal in January fifty-two, um, and it's sort of, I mean, I, I, obviously there are people, you know, my my dad's in his eighties, he was around then, you know, there are people around, but for most of us, it's just such an unusual thing, is not it? It's such a, a rare occurrence in in our eyes, whereas I guess in the fifties when um the queen came to the throne people were probably thinking oh it's extremely rare for a queen to be on the throne usually <laughs> a king you know
2: well th- this is it i mean um like it's around about 60% of cities uh, games have been played under a queen um but the vast majority of them are, are, are elizabeth it was about 54% um for uh, for elizabeth because uh victoria v- victoria was only on the throne until 1901 city of course you know founded in 1894
5: yeah and you know obviously we didn't well we, we I was going to say we didn't win any trophies but we did we we won the second division title under Victoria um so I suppose our first national success came under Victoria um but yeah we didn't win a, a what what would today be regarded as a major trophy under Victoria and and you sort of think you know for 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 the people you know when she died in in 1901 the the, the sort of city fans who, who were around then Many of those would have only known a queen because you know she she was certainly on the throne before football, professional football existed, um and she'd probably been on the throne for, again like now. You know, it was it was so many decades that that the vast majority of people probably hadn't known a king. So it, it was a strange experience. But do you know? And this is one of the things. I'm I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but. Um, there's all there's been the ferrari about do we play on do we not play and so on and every time there's been a change of monarch city have carried on city have played on i mean obviously there may be um days of clash with funerals where games have been postponed or rearranged and and so on and you know i'm thinking about when diana died actually and obviously she wasn't a monarch but when diana died games were postponed from the funeral the day of the funeral yeah um, but in terms of the, the sort of first games after uh, a, a senior member of the royal family have died they've not been postponed in the past very unusual um even the, the, when victoria died there was a view that games should be postponed um, and the fa eventually sort of well the fa said something like um football should be stopped the football Football League protested saying, hey, we're all going to lose some money. We can't we can't do that. We've got to play on. God, and,
2: that, that message hasn't changed in years, <laughs> has it? <laughs>
5: yeah. And and actually, City were one of the teams that played on. There's a couple of the sort of London-based teams or southern teams that, that didn't play on. But certainly, um, City played on even after Victoria died. So, it's very unusual how it's gone recently.
2: Yeah, and uh, obviously, uh, just looking then at uh, kind of like major trophies and things, City's first major trophy came under a king. It was uh, Edward the Seventh uh, who took over from Victoria. So only three years after after that, moniker changed. So uh, so so maybe that's a good sign for uh, for Charles the <laughs> Third.
5: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe. And you know, I think um, Edward the Seventh. He actually, I think he died just in the close season as well. So there's no question about games being postponed. But but. First to win the FA Cup and finish runners up in the league—that I mean, which of course was the most significant league position we finished—is a is a big statement, really. But um, yeah, I suppose you know there may have been some city fans going around saying, "That's it, you know, under King we're going to be all right now." <laughs>
2: yeah, just I mean, just doing the rough maths in my head, it must be it must be under a Queen where they've uh, where they've won the most major trophies because all of the the current eras obviously come under Elizabeth and uh, and the sixties was as well.
5: Yeah, I, I had a look at this actually, and we've won, I think it's 20 major trophies, uh, including our only European trophy at the moment. But um, you know, uh, that's what a trophy every sort of three and a half years, something like that. Um, so, under under Elizabeth, it's obviously the, by far the, the, the best ratio. Um, but of course, we all know that the, the, the seventy years of the reign has been ups and downs, and we've dropped our lowest point as well. So it's it it, it is a, a bit difficult, a bit difficult to sort of do a, a, a direct comparison. But the best one, I suppose, the best sort of transition would be um, when the Queen's dad came to the throne, um, because uh, his brother abdicated in. in 1936, Um, and so the Queen's dad came to the throne in December 36, that went on to be our first title winning season, and there was a definite transformation in the club, I mean, we lost, I think we lost a couple of the first sort of three or four games under his his sort of reign, if you like, Um, but the rest of the season we were, you know, it was our longest unbeaten run, at, which has since been beaten by the time. it was our longest unbeaten run, and we go and win our first league title. And his coronation happened at the end of the se- at the end of the football season, and City went on tour to to Germany. But um, you know, Manchester was sort of decorated in in red, white, and blue, and the Union Jack, and all this sort of stuff. And I guess there was some City fans thinking, "Oh yeah, that's that's for our league title success." <laughs>
2: yeah not uh, not quite the case uh, one one stat that um that i, I kind of I, I dug up this was this was a few years ago so this was during uh, elizabeth's uh, elizabeth's reign um was that there've been uh, since city were founded in 1894 there there were more monarchs on the uh, uk throne than there were seasons where city won home and away against liverpool um, <laughs> at, at the time, it, there was uh, six Monarchs and, and five seasons. It's now seven Monarchs and five seasons. Um, so we could, do with, we could do a change of that one sometime soon because we don't want the Monarchs getting too far ahead.
5: Oh, God, no, we, we definitely need that one changing. I mean, but do you know what? I mean, I'm, You could have probably done a, a snapshot, uh, I don't know, say for the Queen, Queen's granddad, which would have said, actually, it was the reverse of that. But I don't want to check that one just in case I'm wrong. But <laughs> you, you never know. Um, but I suppose there's a couple of other things we should say about, about the royals which um have just come to me actually king george v who you know we won the fa cup in 1934 when he was on the on the throne and that's the queen's granddad um and we got to two cup finals and we finished second in the league and stuff like but he also um came to hyde road in 1920 when he's when he was the king so you know a reigning monarch coming to to Hyde Road so you know in some ways that's that's a, a different angle and also Queen's dad when he was still a prince when he was still the Duke of York he went to Main Road and watched a, a game I think it was Derby County actually off the top of my head but he went he went to Main Road to watch a, a game um just an ordinary League game as well nothing you know there's nothing special about it he just went to an ordinary League game same as um, King George V had as well so you know, when you, you think about that, there's a few extra royal connections that I think we should yeah, we should remember really. So the last well the so the last king prior to Charles and his father have both been to home league games for City.
1: Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
2: That was Gary James speaking to me. Um, And again, thanks to uh, Stat City. We've dug out some stats uh, about City's performances because I I, I did wonder about uh, kings and queens on the throne um with regards to city and uh, the win percentage is actually uh, pretty similar 45% under queens uh, 43% under kings uh, however they've uh, they've played 2 thirds of their games with a queen on the throne so it's elizabeth mainly and, uh, and victoria for the first few years of uh, their existence so uh, so yeah make that what you will um a couple of other things before we move on paul um are you are, are you a fan of uh, phil foden's haircut photos uh, would you you know back the uh, the squad number being shaved into the side of your head um Probably not.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think it's not not for me. I don't think I could pull it off. I think he can. You're not going to say I just get.
2: am not going to say a six in the side yeah, of your head. No, no, it's not going to happen. No. No. Yeah. you would
1: you
4: do it?
2: Well, I, I mean, i I goalkeeper, so I'll have number one, which just would just look ridiculous. It'd look like I'm boasting everywhere I went, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's your
4: strange ways number, is it? Something like yeah, it. yeah,
2: I'd have to play, I'd have to start playing number 13 or something like that, so to, just to, to get the full effect, but yeah. And uh, Maka, the, the final thing for the uh, the Dortmund game, I did love um. Guardiola being booked and then hugging the referee it it kind of feels like that sort of mood that all parents know of like the naughty child trying to get back in the good books yeah, it was, yeah. no no it was it
3: was, <laughs> it was very funny that very funny it's, it's
4: so funny to watch isn't it just you just just as watching that transpire like I
3: literally have no idea what's going on well, can you imagine living with him
4: yeah
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it must be that absolute nightmare I know obviously I love him to bits but he just oh he he's got, got a sense down, of
4: humour. That's that's the thing that gets him out of it. <laughs> because yeah, he does it's kind it's... of. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? That's why he laughs and did the hug. But he
3: also knows he's very, very intense. Yes, yeah. incredibly intense. But yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sure I could spend much more than a week with him. <laughs>
2: yeah, you imagine you'd you'd kind of like roll over in the night, wouldn't you? If you like, if you were married to him, you'd roll over in the night and he wouldn't be there. And you're like, where where no, is he now? now? Yeah, the bathroom light would be on and just be like <laughs> like, like stood in the bathroom doodling like on his notepad because he got up to to like get something out of his teeth or something and you then know, he had no idea he one of
4: them uh, one of them London basements with like an office wouldn't he and the, the, the study lamp would be on it would be just yeah exactly
3: yes. yeah.
2: with a, a quill a
3: quill
6: yeah. <laughs> yeah like
2: Pat Guardiola the private investigator sort of uh, sort of look yeah right well uh, it's time to look ahead to this weekend's trip to Wolves let's start by hearing from Dave as a party from Talking Wolves I've been speaking to him to find out more about their start to the season and I asked whether it's been going in a similar sort of way to last season
7: yeah similar sort of thing really where you know um as of right now we've got the best defense in the in the premier league again on paper at the moment you know we haven't faced against you know faced off against many tough teams i think city now will be the best team that we've um, we we've faced uh, other than spurs i would say um in that sort of top 6 bracket but yeah but it's the same issues as as last season really where defensive defensively yes we're fine but we're still struggling to score the goals down the other end of the pitch. So, once again, I think, yes, we've got the best defence in the league, but we're also the lowest scorers in the league as well. Um, the teams that we've played, such as Bournemouth, who just lost you know, 9-0 to Liverpool. You almost think it's a perfect time to play them, and then we go to their place, and it's a goalless draw. Um, so, that's something that walls need to address a little bit more. Obviously, we're, trying, we're in the market for, for a forward. Um, we're trying to bolster that front line, and hopefully the goals will start to come sooner rather than later.
2: Yeah. Is it, is it chance creation or is it finishing? What's what's the problem?
7: Um, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, again, there's some games, I'll bring up the game against Tottenham again, where we had 20 shots on goal, um, which you look at that and you think, oh, Wolves had a lot of uh, chances, but I think our XG was like below one. So that says, you know, the quality of the chances. So I think it's probably more chance creation than anything, to be honest. It's not like we're missing many clear-cut opportunities um, but we're just trying to find. It's almost trying to get that ball from the midfield, the attacking midfield areas, into those. You know, to to create the clear cut chances. Just missing that final ball. Wolves are really at the minute.
2: Yeah, how's uh, how's it been at Molyneux? Because uh, obviously, if this game goes ahead, uh, then then it will be at Molineux. Um We were we were kind of hoping that Liverpool might have softened you up a bit first, but uh, obviously <laughs> that, got, that 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 went in the can this weekend.
7: Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's not been too bad so far. I think, you know, we'd had a pretty poor start to the season in, in regards to results. Um, and I think that our last game against Southampton at Molyneux was almost a, a must-win, really, because if we didn't beat Southampton, we would have come up against, obviously, Liverpool, you guys. After the international break, uh, break we play West Ham and then Chelsea, which obviously both aren't easy games. So Bruno Lars could have so easily gone in eight, nine games into the season without a win. Um, so that win against Southampton was huge and the atmosphere was good at Molyneux as well. Uh, we were disappointed with the draw against Bournemouth and I think everyone almost knew in the back of their minds, like we've got to get behind the team, we've got to get behind the ma- the, the manager here to try and get a result. Uh, and that's exactly what we got. So it's given us a little bit more time. We've got a couple of new signings that came in late in the deadline. So a bit more time for them to get match fit, match sharp, integrate with the team a little bit more. So... You know, I was gutted at the game against Liverpool, didn't go ahead. But, you know, it's just given us that little bit more time to prepare ahead of uh, this fixture on Saturday.
2: Yeah. Um, let's talk about the transfer window because, um, as you said, there's been a few a few players come in uh, towards the end of the window. What, what do you make of it all? How, how do you think you've done this summer?
7: It, it, I think it was a good window for Wolves. Um, it took a little bit longer than fans would have wanted. You know, the it, it, fans started to get a little bit impatient. Um, the manager said at the end of last season that he wanted to have the core of his squad ready at the start of free season And we'd only just signed one player and we'd lost quite a few. Um, and it's almost a fresh team. You know, we've seen a lot of, established players gone that we'd had. Romain Says had been at the club a long time and he he left on a free. Conor Cody was, of, of course, a big shock to a lot of people, but it made sense uh, for the direction that Wolves want to go in. So it's a big... Uh, Big change for Wolves, but we've brought in some quality players. I think you know Nathan Collins, who is a young, very talented defender, and started off brilliantly. Like I said earlier, with those defensive stats, Um Gonzalo Guedes, who was a player that's played sort of top end of Spanish football for a long time, Mateus Nunes, who a player that even Pep Guardiola sort of praised previously as well, um, and just just strengthened all around the all around the team. Really, we signed a new striker, uh, Sasha Kalidzic. Uh, six foot seven forward from uh, Stuttgart, but unfortunately he's done his ACL already on his debut. Um, so now we're in the market and we set to sign Diego Costa. So again, an interesting one. I think he's probably going to be in the squad for that game against City as well.
2: I was going to ask how close that was. Is it? Is it looking likely to get through before uh, before Saturday?
7: It, yeah, it, it's pretty much a done deal. I think. Obviously, with with what's been going on this weekend, I think the title Wolves have found it difficult to with the timing of announcing the signing. But yeah, it's pretty much done. So I think um, again, that's one of the advantages, I suppose, of not having a game. It's given us you know an extra week to get him match fit, try and get him you know up to sort of a match ready status really. So, but I think he'll be in the squad. He might not start on Saturday, but he'll definitely be in the squad.
2: Yeah, well, we all uh, we all know the damage that Costa can do in the Premier League. If <laughs> if you are going to get a result against City, who are the players that'll do it this weekend?
7: Um, I think f- through the midfield, Neves, of course, you know, we're so lucky to have kept him. He's just been making things tick and the new signing, Mateus Nunes, as well. And he he grabbed himself an assist last weekend. Um, but just bringing the ball forward, his ball retention, he's almost a- probably a little bit like De Bruyne, or sometimes you can get two or three defenders around him and he still s- somehow sort of wriggles his way out of trouble. He's a little bit like that, really. And he's been starting a lot of our counterattacks off. It's just, One of the things with the attackers are, you know, we're doing... They're doing a lot of the hard work, but it's just not clicking for them. Pedro Neto, who was linked with a move away this summer as well, he's almost making things a little bit too hard for himself. But on, on his day, you know, he's getting the ball. He could drive forward, make, you know, make life very difficult for defenders. So it's just, he's one of those players I'm just expecting it to click for soon. So I think it's going to be that midfield battle, though, really. We'll probably play midfield for him: Moutinho, Nevers, and, and Nunes. And that's where we've got to get most of our joy from, both defensively and going forward.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, we uh, we we spoke ahead of the game at Molyneux last season. Uh, that turned out to be a lot more comfortable for City than I was expecting <laughs> yeah. in the end. Uh, cause, because as we've said on, on many of these shows before, Wolves always tend to give City quite a good game these days. Um, uh, how's confidence in going into this one? What How are the fans feeling?
7: Um, it, it, it's strange, really. I don't think, you know, no one's expecting us to go, go over there and sort of, you know, host you guys and beat you on Saturday. Uh, but it, I think it's weird because of the Liverpool game. We were sort of looking forward to that because they had a bit of a sticky run of form. Um, so there hasn't really been much talk ahead of this game as of yet. Um, but I think when you know when it sinks in and we you know we're playing against probably well it is you guys are the best team in the country. I think people will start to talk about it a little bit more. But you know I think everyone's worried about the likes of Haaland and we all knew how good he was but I don't think anybody expected him to sort of kick off as well as he has done so it's always going to be a worry but I've seen you know I saw the game against Villa I think there are ways to try and almost frustrate city and stop city um but it is obviously going to be a really tough game and I think the Wolves fans know that as well that's why our win against Southampton last weekend was so important
2: yeah, I, I, one of the things I've I've worried about with City this season, it it seems to have kind of faded in the last couple of weeks. But it has been kind of momentum shifts in games. Sometimes when the opposition get the tails up for a bit, that's when City can come under pressure. How mm. are you guys ca- kind of dealing with that at the moment? I mean, I like I watched your game against Spurs. You've mentioned it a couple of times, and I remember thinking, if you know, if, if Wolves don't score soon, they're going to pay for this. And you, <laughs> that's that's and, and exactly how it ended up turning out.
7: Yeah, yeah. That that I've used that example a couple of times over the last couple of weeks to be honest, where I think everyone who watched that game, you know, first half Wolves were by far the better team. But against anybody you know in in particular the top 6 if you're not going to take your opportunities or not going to create a clear cut opportunity and take advantage of your dominance then they're going to punish you and that's exactly what spurs did you know they had one we made one mistake defensively and they took advantage and scored um so that that's the one thing for wolves and that's just that's been against every team you know we can there's been games where we've had really good spells of possession. We retain the ball really well, uh, but we're just not threatening enough in front of goal. Um, so that'll be a similar sort of thing I expect on Saturday. You know, City is so good on the ball, but I think Wolves will have have their own spells of possession. It's just whether Wolves can be ruthless enough in front of goal, which at the moment <laughs> they're not. So City take advantage of one Wolves uh, Wolves mistake. And I think you'll be, you know, you'll be in business. So it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Bruno Lars lines up um, and how we get on on Saturday.
1: You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players. And you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statscity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your
7: podcasts.
2: Where are your weakest this season? What's uh, what, What's been the biggest weaknesses?
7: Um, there's not... I mean, the biggest weaknesses, like I said, us not scoring the goals. But for the areas for for City to target, it's probably almost... I think we will play counter-attacking football, obviously, on Saturday. But it's almost City countering that counter. You know, if our full-backs push forward, I think you'll have a lot of space um, down those wide areas. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised with how we've gone because we've shifted from a back five to a back four um, this season and I thought there were going to be many, many team issues and there and haven't been to be honest so defensively you know the shape and so on has been alright but I think with the pace with the talent that City have got the ability to just pick out a pass I think the the, the backs who have had really good spells this season, but have had really bad spells as well. I think that's where you'll get your joy, I think, down those wide areas.
2: Um, I, I want to talk a, a little bit about uh, Bruno Large as well, because um, you know I, I work with a couple of Wolves fans, and uh, one of them is absolutely dead against changing the manager. The other one's thinking, oh, now 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 might not be the, the worst time to change the manager if things don't pick up anytime soon. Um, is the fan base a little bit split down, down kind of the job that he's doing at the moment?
7: Yeah, there was, uh, especially before that uh, game against Southampton, I think there were fans that were saying, you know, after the Bournemouth game or if we didn't beat Southampton, they they would have wanted him to go. Um, he's just, he, he's still a very young manager. We saw it last season. Uh, we had a really strong start to the season, but there were still certain areas of his game um, as a manager where you think, what on earth is he doing? Mainly substitutions, timing of these substitutions and so on, Um so it, it is pretty split still. I think, you know, a lot of that calmed down and quietened down after that win against Southampton. But it, it it's one of those, it's one of those things. I think a manager is, he's always, you know, you're not going to please everyone. Not 100% of the fan base is always going to be happy with the manager. But for me at the moment, I don't think there's many managers out there realistically that are going to come in and, do a much better job than what Bruno Lage is doing right now. So I'm happy with him for the time being. You know, things can change quite quickly in football. He's got a tough running coming up. Um, But yeah, for me at the moment, I'm I'm happy with his ideas. I'm happy with the direction he's going in. But the the board have almost put the pressure back on him now. Last year, he did an okay job, had no backing. All of a sudden, this summer, he's had a load of money chucked at him. He's changed system to suit what he wants to play. So, you know, the ball's in his court now to try uh, try and get it right for Wolves this season. Yeah
2: and uh, what do you think the 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 ambition should be for Wolves this season where uh, what what do you think you
7: can what do you think you can achieve I mean the, I think the squad is more than capable of a of a solid top half finish and even you know knocking on the door for top 7 again you know first two years back in the premier league that's exactly what we did we've had a couple of seasons now where we've been disappointing last season you know we were so close and uh, I think we had a couple of games against Arsenal in quick succession, which just killed our momentum and we ended up sliding down the table. Um, so I think we're more than capable to be you know, knocking around there again. If we could finish sort of 8th or ninth this year, I'd be more than happy. Try and keep hold of the talented players that we've got and, and make a real push of it next year.
2: Yeah, and um, I mean there is talk that this game might not go ahead. We'll find out a bit a bit later on. Um, if it does, what's uh, what's your score prediction for it? We'll uh, we'll whack it on the charity bet.
7: Um, see, I, whenever I come on here, I normally back walls, <laughs> but um, you know what? Yeah, go on. I'll I'll, I'll say a one-one draw. Um, I, I, that's that's using my heart. I think my head says probably two-nil City, but I will use my heart and go Walls one City one.
1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast, and we're very sorry about that.
2: So, that was Dave as a party from Talking Wolves. Um, Macker, last season's trip to, to Molyneux I had down as a really tough one, and then uh, Kevin De Bruyne popped up and just decided to, to score four in like an hour or so. Um, so, apart from that game, I, like City have always, certainly under Guardiola, found Wolves quite a tricky nut to crack. Um, what what would you like to see this weekend to, to make sure that they don't end up with a repeat of the first 70, 80 minutes against Dortmund? Um, in terms of... Well, you,
3: you, it, you're you definitely right. So, I mean, the, the first game at... Uh, well, the game at our place last year, I, I bumped into Sam Lee before the game and just uh, we were just chatting and he we went, you know, this is going to be awful. I went, what do you mean? He just said this is gonna this is gonna be tough it's gonna be really tough and it was it was really real tough and we were very lucky that game I mean it wasn't a penalty was it in a million years and um you mean that they, that, that ball that didn't touch his hand, hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one. so we were very lucky that game they were very well organized very hard working and like you I was very surprised but that would that the result at their place um in terms of what would I want to see I want to see Foden starting um, to he, Bernardo started. Yeah, Paul, um, is it
2: is it about kind of more energy in the team? And I know a half twelve kickoff on a Saturday doesn't scream energy, <laughs> um, but like you, you kind of want a bit more impetus to start with, don't you?
4: I think so. I think after that performance, in particular, it, um, you know, the strange thing about the previous performance was was more because of the, the game the weekend was cancelled, so they felt a lot tired and slow. So I think they just need to pick up where they were, you know, at the start of the season move the ball fast, move the ball quick, get teams out of place and sort of get back into that form. I feel like we haven't gone fully got fully back in our rhythm yet of last year. So,
3: you know, fast performance and a good performance would be good to see. So, I mean, I don't know about you two. I mean, every team sheet that I see when Folden's not on the team sheet, I just think, oh, i just relieved. He's one of the first, I know obviously as good as De Bruyne is, I just think Folden just adds so much. So much, and he just rarely has a bad game. And he's just he, technically is obviously brilliant. He works hard. I mean, I'd like I say every time I don't see him on the team sheet, like last night, it's like oh, bloody hell. Yeah. So um, I think a spawn is it's one of them where you know
4: the amount of goals he was scoring the season before when he he's kind of you know that was when he really rose and kind of came through. And then the next season, he didn't kind of like hit those dizzy heights stat-wise, but he was always there and always consistent and a strong performer. And he, like I said, he didn't have a bad game. And he, he, you do notice him so much when he's out there. It's his energy and he can go between the lines, he can pass, he can stay wide and go in between and he can score and assist. He's, he's just you know all-round strong player
3: and he doesn't get phased by the big games either or the, when we need to sort of pull it back. Well, he knows, nothing, he knows nothing different. That's the thing, that's the beauty of introducing young lads, semi we Palmer now. Like, in the past, you have to be really careful and introduce... We might have a decent player on our hands here, but we can't throw him in because it could ruin him, because the crowd (laughs) could ruin it. No, it's true, though. Yeah, no, it's true. I'm I'm just just laughing
2: about the good old days. That's (laughs) all
3: So, but now, actually, we can... You kind of, They know no different. Phil Foden knows no different, so he must just think he can run for a a brick wall. Same with Cole Palmer. Get me on. Yeah. I'm better than than Grealish. That's what they're probably thinking.
2: Yeah, it reminds me of um, when I used to see team sheets in about 2017, 2018 without Sterling on, and thought it'd be a tough game today, not because because he's the one that's making a stick. And I wonder if it's the same with Foden, like as you say, as, as good as uh, as the is, and as 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 frequently as the Bruyne puts in that moment of quality that changes a game. Um, Foden could be the key to maybe more like the tempo that City play with, rather than just the quality on the ball. Totally. Um, uh, just in, in terms of uh, of Saturday, Maka, um, most teams play a counter-attacking style against City. So like nobody will be surprised to see Wolves do the same sort of thing. Um, uh, how do you feel City have been in dealing with the counter-attacking sides this season and, and kind of breaking them down? Because it, it feels like, like they're maybe not... It, it feels like maybe the moments where they're not very good are, are a lot lower than they were in previous years. But the moments where they're really good are, are possibly higher than they were? Well, I think... I mean, and this comes on to what happened last night, really. I mean, patience
3: as well. You've obviously got to be patient. If, people, if teams are sitting back and the crowd in it, and it is very, very difficult. But I think, and I suspect Guardiola will hate this, will be very reluctant to instruct his players to do it. But I think there are times now, given we've got Haaland in the middle, I'm not talking about like long, straight balls, but get it wide, get it in a box. And that, and we didn't do that enough last night. And just ca- try and cause a bit of chaos. But the word chaos probably makes him switch. He doesn't <laughs> like
1: that <Yeah. laughs>
3: That's not what he wants. He wants everything to be just orderly and but. But yeah, I mean that's what. I mean, what what more can what more can you do than if someone sit if the team is sitting back like that, then get it out wide and get it, and get it in the box. Yeah. You can't you can't try and play it through the middle and through all the traffic and everything. And so yeah, that's the only thing really I would say.
2: Yeah, I'd like to, I, I don't know about you, Paul, but I'd quite like to see City tried it a few times in like Edison's first and second season because he's got this 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 ridiculous kick. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to see Haaland go and stand on the penalty spot when it's a <laughs> City goal kick because then the opposition have got a decision to make. Either they push up and try and squeeze City and stop them playing out from the back or they drop deep to, to cover Haaland because I mean, frankly, surely Edison can hit him from a goal kick on the penalty spot and you can't be offside.
4: Is this, is this your, um. Sort of coaching badges coming into effect. Uh, this is,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah, this is this is my uh, idealistic um, kind of let's let's cause a bit of mayhem going in there. Because North, the, northern mean,
4: co- northern conference. Tactics yeah,
2: sake. I mean, you, you've played with enough. You've played with me enough times to know that uh, the number of times when I will boot the ball long and then go, yeah, no, I meant that, and it was just dropped really fortunately on somebody's toe. Edison can our do our it tactic, properly. Yeah. That is our tactic, but that's because we're too tired from running
4: around <laughs> to actually uh, play it out. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, if you do that, it's 50- well, it's almost a 50-50% chance, you know, between Haaland and the defender, and he's, he's taller, but, uh, you yeah. know. He's going to win it, a uh, th- That's the thing. That's what Mac was saying: is that Pep wants percentages game. If you control possession, generally you're going to win the game, or your odds are going to win the game. If you just hoof it up, you're kind of giving away possession more and you're playing the, you're playing sort of smaller percentage chances
2: yeah here's, here's me turning one of the most technically good teams uh, in the world ever into a route one long ball hoof it yeah. sort of twice Sam a Allen, season, said, Yeah.
4: twice a <laughs> season catch people off guard yeah. I think that could work but yeah.
3: I was going to say I'm not sure it's going to work every week <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: yeah. Um, Paul looking at Wolves um I am I, I am nervous about this game at weekend, Um, largely because Wolves have the best defence in the Premier League so far this season. OK, it's only six games or so, uh, but they've conceded the fewest and they have the worst attack. They've scored the least, uh, which to me screams this game could be really boring. Could be.
4: Um, I don't expect really. I feel like they're going to dig in, but... You know, Dort- Dortmund did it really well for 60, 70 minutes. So, um,
2: yeah, Wolves I mean, aren't Dortmund, I get that, yeah.
4: They're not, and I think that's what I'm thinking. Of us. And, and City can't really play much worse than they did in terms of, you know, attacking and incisiveness than they they did against Dortmund. So, yeah, I feel like it's going to be a step above, and you, I don't know how much you could read into six games as well, really, in terms of Wolves' defence.
2: Yeah they were doing this last season as well though so uh, I, I I did have an eye on them at one point breaking the Premier League record for the fewest goals in any game that they were uh, that they that they played and just terrible terrible like entertainment all year round mm-hmm. um Maca, like the other kind of wild card in all this is, uh, as Dave mentioned uh, in the interview, they they were likely to sign Diego Costa when when I spoke to him. Uh, they yeah. have now signed Diego Costa, so like he could be in line for a start. He's he's, he's likely to be involved in some capacity at the weekend. Yeah. Um, does that make them a bit more dangerous? Uh, he's not going to start.
3: Is he? He's not going to be match fit, so he's probably on the bench. So yeah, I'd, I'd like us to be two or two goals in front in the last twenty minutes because. The last thing we want is it being nil nil or, or what, us one nil up and then them throwing him on for the last sweaty minutes and the crowd will be going mental and then you just all anything could happen. But uh, no, I'm, I'm I'm I think I'm more confident than you for the weekend. I just think we'll I just think we'll just be better than them.
2: Yeah, I think doing podcasts like this actually has has made me overestimate every opposition ever. So uh, <laughs> I can, like if, we, if we 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 could be playing like Dagenham and Redbridge this weekend, we go well, you know they've well, they had had a, they've dangerous. had a good start. Yeah, they've had a good start to the season. <laughs> yeah, um, i have
3: got a young lad from Altrincham who's just joined. Yeah, so you know you never know.
2: Um, I'm going to run through some quick fire options, Paul. Um, given that the international breaks coming up, there's there's obviously there's there's plenty of players who'll be playing in that, and there'll be uh, there'll be some that get a rest. Um, Given that we haven't really seen much of Alvarez, would you like to see him involved?
4: Oh, definitely. I think um, Haaland took the limelight because of how good he's been, but I mean, Alvarez just looks unbelievable. You know, he's he's a perfect pet player, isn't he? The way he chases down the ball, he can pass, he can, he can shoot, he can he can he can um, you know defend as well and stop counter-attacks. He can play all the way all the way across the front and then attack in mid. So yeah, love to see him play.
2: Yeah. How about Haaland, Maka? Is, uh, is he going to need a rest at some point? Um, my head says
3: yes. My heart, I, I don't want him to. I just want him to play every game, yeah. I just I play just, every game, score two. Yeah, yeah, I just I, I know I know that's not going to happen, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Or does he, or does he just, just keep playing him and just see? See what happens until he breaks. <laughs> then
5: we stick, back in the in,
3: we stick him back in the lab and
2: sort him out, and then <laughs> that will be all right. <laughs> yeah, download the new update and uh, yeah. <laughs> see how he is. Um, how about the centre-backs, Paul? Because uh, I thought the the bright sparks from the first hour or so against Dortmund was that uh, both Ake and Akanji would look pretty good. So, um, you know, if Diaz is available, Stones is obviously available. Don't know about Walker, so maybe Stones is needed at right-back. What, what would you do?
4: I think keep the same. Um, back four. I think it worked. I don't think we we're particularly vulnerable.
2: Uh there's a couple of, you know, Dortmund sort of counted a
4: couple of times, but I think I think we looked really strong. I think Kanji's settled in really well. I think Ake's brilliant one on one defensively, he wins a lot in the air. Um Cancelo usually attacks more and he comes backwards. So and, and Stone's obviously solid. So I'd keep the same back four if, if that if that force fit.
2: Yeah, the only question I got then on top of that, uh Michael, would be maybe Gomez to left back, Cancelo to right back so that Stones can go in the middle
3: um possibly um i just i do, I do like her i'm conflicted with cancello at left back because there's so much I, I love what he brings creatively but when he dangles that left leg out when he's defending he's just <laughs> someone's running
2: past him yeah penalty, <laughs> it, penalty on the card yeah, oh them?
3: god i know but um I'd have, I'd have no problem with that but i don't know probably both but i'll probably go with um uh, no I'd probably go with what paul says i agree with that
4: it's, yeah. it's the uh, Cancelo standing tackle, which either looks incredibly nonchalant and really good, and he sends the player flying, or yeah. he just wipes them out
3: yeah. <laughs> or, or gets yeah.
4: taken on completely. Yeah,
2: yeah. bypass the, entirely.
4: He, the, the thing with Cancelo is, is so entertaining to watch for so many different reasons. Like <laughs> per game, like it's but like but a really high level of performance He'll yeah. just like hit an absolute wonderful outside of fo- the foot pass do loads of skill or he'll just miss like a five yard part side which passes yeah. to create a counter attack and then off, bone off, everyone
2: yeah or for no reason just roll it to their centre forward in the middle of the, yeah. the centre circle Yeah, and then, then blame someone else yeah. yeah why Why have yeah. you done that I, just, I don't know I just fancy doing it Boy,
4: it's, it's Hollywood entertainment
2: yeah Right, uh, charity bet time. Uh, I was correct for the Dortmund game on last week's podcast. That was an £85 win, and it takes the total for the season to £205. We're collecting for the Man City fans' food bank support group. They're helping the Trussell Trust support people in food poverty in Manchester. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. Um, so we heard earlier on from Dave from Talking Wolves. He's going for a 1-0 draw. Uh, that is to 9-1 if he's right. So £90 will go into the kitty if it finishes 1-1 on Saturday. Paul, what are you having? Uh, I am going to go two nil city. Two nil city is six to one and sixty quid if you are right, Mako. Three one city, comfortable three one. Uh, well, I am assuming it'd be comfortable and they, they don't score like two no, it's stoppage three time goals. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but uh, if it finishes three one, that's eleven to one and one hundred and ten pounds if you are right. You have got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change, and for more on responsible gambling, take a look at begambleaware.org.
1: Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com.
2: Now then, it might feel like City are Champions League regulars these days, given they've qualified for the competition each season since 2011. But the club's relationship with European tournaments isn't that simple. City fan and author Simon Curtis has documented the whole thing from the club's baby steps onto the continent in the late 60s to their re-emergence in the early noughties. I've been speaking to him about the book called City in Europe and about City in European competition. It goes back
0: a a lot longer than most people uh, believe to start with. So it's a it's a long story, it's an interesting story. It's an in and out story. Uh it's an up and down story. I mean, this is this is what we've always expected from City, isn't it? Um uh, disaster um around every corner. I mean it's not not so frequently talked about these days, obviously, but it's it always used to be Uh, a speciality of the club to to find a special way of failing didn't it um, (laughs) we continued to do that in Europe for many years and some would say we're still doing it Um, so it's it's a special area of of the club which uh, really still needs attending to I suppose you know if you look at all the success over the last few years it's the one bit that um, still needs adjusting if you like
2: yeah. Um I mean let's let's go back to the start um because I mean when I was born and when I was growing up as a city fan um European competition was just not something that that we were uh, ever thought possible for city. Um mm. so uh, kind of that that phrase uh, terrorize Europe was always yeah. kind of like a, it was a monkey on the back for us as a, as as fans like growing up in the in the 80s and 90s. Um yeah. like the attitude at the time when City first got into the European Cup was like City. City will City will do well here.
0: Well, that was Malcolm Allison all over, wasn't it? He was he was full of bravado, um, and to some extent, rightly so. He had a great great uh, squad of players, and he had Joe Mercer backing him up. Um, what could What could go wrong? You know, they'd already <laughs> they'd already tasted success, um, so. Their their tails were up, if you like, and he he, he immediately regretted that quote, um, but he had to live with it, obviously. Um, but within a year, they had kind of terrorised Europe. You know, winning a, a European trophy in those days didn't take quite what it does these days. It's only um, four or five rounds and you, you're in the final already. And if you're lucky, you get some pretty duff opponents along the way as well. Um but yes it was a it was a a typical Malcolm Allison start to to the the roller coaster, if you like um but again, it fits city city have always had their their mavericks and their loud mouths and their tricksters and their jesters and their rascals haven't they so um Allison started the ball rolling really with that quote
2: yeah they i mean that you mentioned the the cup winners cup success um I, I guess that's that's a little bit kind of difficult for for younger fans to to kind of process what what that means. Um, but but the the cup winners' cup was was regarded as a as a good trophy to win, wasn't it? It wasn't it wasn't Absolutely. like wasn't like winning the the Europa Conference League at this stage as the third le- third level of uh, of, 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 of uh, European competition. It was a it was a major it was a major trophy. It was football
0: football bank to these days has has, um, condemned things like the Conference League. So, that you know, we we joke about Thursday evening football and all the rest of it. And if you're not in the Champions League, you're a bit of a joke. Um, But in those days, you know, getting into Europe was quite a thing. There were three trophies, obviously, European Cup, UEFA Cup, as it was, and the Cup Winners' Cup. And the Cup Winners' Cup was the the quirky one, if you want, because it was the previous season's um, National Cup winners, um, which meant... You know, it it might be a surprise entrant. Um, City were in a, a flush of of good health at that time, so they they won everything. But you know, it might quite easily have been and was in England's case West Ham or Sunderland, who also won the cup in the seventies and eighties, uh, going into Europe on on England's behalf. You know, so you could get all sorts of people as as strange opponents in the Cup Winners Cup. But it it didn't feel at the time. Like uh, a lesser competition, it was just slightly different.
2: Yeah how how long was it for City? Do you think that uh, as as the years went by with without European football, how long was it before the realization set in that that European football was a long way off?
0: Um, well, I mean, it, it came to a grinding halt in 1979, and I I, I was uh, I hadn't seen City in Europe then, not in the flesh, but uh, I was aware that this was becoming a regular thing you know in the in the mid and late 70s we're in the UEFA cup four or five times um in that final UEFA cup season 78 79 we got through to the quarter final even with a a badly slumping side that season um and it just felt like uh, another of those things that would be a regular occurrence you know just like city being in the top flight um i knew nothing other than City in the top flight, until suddenly in 1983, we were relegated, and even that season, relegated on the last day of the season with four minutes to go. That was the first time we'd gone into the bottom three. Um, it was just surreal. So suddenly, having uh, top flight football removed, having had European football removed, you thought, "Oh well, this is this is a new thing, you know. This is the new City." Um, and we'll we'll go with the flow, and it was good fun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but nobody could have forecast that it would be um, 2003 before City got another snuff, of, uh, another sniff of Europe, which is a ridiculously long time.
2: Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, um, being in uh, an exam at school um, when uh, one of the teachers who was a who was a City fan uh, knew all the City fans while the UEFA Cup draw was going on, and um, <laughs> it, like just you know you know that way in school exams you stick your hand up and have a bit more paper can out like this. Um, he <laughs> uh, kind of give that knowing look to say the draw's been done, so you'd stick your hand up and he'd wander over and just say, by the way we're going to Wales. (laughs) It's just like, after all that build-up, it's just Wales,
0: isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. And the Welsh manager just hit it on the head when he said, you know, City have waited such a long time. It's such a shame that having waited for 25 years or whatever it was, they're going to exit the tournament straight away in Wales. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, But it would have been typical, wouldn't it? Um, What a start that was. That season, in fact, we managed to get uh, Lochran, which was a sort of half normal side, although I think they were bottom of the Belgian league when we played them. Uh, but then we went out to um, the very unlikely opponent of, of Groklin, Disco Bolia, as they were called at the time, um, in a park uh, covered in snow in some godforsaken bit of eastern Poland in front of 5,000 people. So it, it was almost as bad as going out to, to Total Network Solutions, in fact, in the end.
2: Uh, I mean, it's 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 interesting the the qualification side of things because when you look at the early days um obviously city qualified uh by winning the league title they qualified by winning the uh, the FA Cup um and then kind of like by the 2000s come along you know that that first kevin keegan era in 2003 um yeah. they qualified for the fair play league the next time uh, again was the fair play league when uh when they lost 8-1 at middlesbrough and still somehow qualified for for uh, for europe um yes it, it it kind of it kind of shows where City were at in the in the kind of noughties, that that that's that's as close as they were getting to success, isn't it?
0: Yeah, um, I remember Keegan at the time being as he as he was wont to be, full of enthusiasm that we'd finally got into Europe again, and that he he was uh, at the helm when we did it. Um, <clears throat> but when when the realization dawned on him how we'd managed to get in, uh, everyone was. Tiny bit embarrassed, I think, really, because uh, in, at least one of those two seasons you mentioned, Everton finished above us and really should have gone in um, on merit. Um, we were lower in the table than them, but got in because we would uh, we got fewer red and yellow cards, which is a little bit ridiculous. And we did it twice, as you said. So, yeah, that was the sort of scrabbling to get back in that we had to be involved with uh, until uh 2010 11 when we when we finished 5th and actually qualified properly
2: yeah and uh of course you know in terms of um managers and and city in europe you you have to say that city in in recent years um, starting off with with Roberto Mancini getting them into the Champions League and then Pellegrini getting them into the knockouts and then Guardiola getting them to the final um, the progression has been there hasn't it and uh, so how, how how do you rank the, the the city managers for their for their input in in terms of the city in Europe story because obviously it all starts back with with Joe Mercer and Malcolm Allison it does yeah uh, in in modern
0: terms, I have a soft spot for Mancini, I must admit because he's he, he took city into the Champions League for the first time. Uh, tough days; those first two seasons, difficult groups to get out of, which we didn't get out of. Um, but still, you know, that was that was a, a tough testing ground for the club, I think. And uh, we we got our backside slapped a few times, but it was it was interesting. It was our first attempt at at playing the Bayern Munichs and the the big boys, Barcelona. Um, so I have a soft spot for Mancini, I must admit. But you're right; that there, there has been. Uh, an obvious procession each time, you know. Um, Pellegrini took us on and managed to get us out of the the groups. Um, although his final legacy, I think, was a bit of a disappointment in in that getting to the semi against Real Madrid, we really didn't do ourselves justice in in those two games. Uh, very flat performances, um, especially the second leg in in Madrid. I was there for that, and uh, it was just. I don't know, it was just so flat, you know. The, the, it needed a, a last hurrah. It only needed a goal and the whole thing was back on edge, you know, and we didn't look like um, we'd been told to do that. So that was a bit of a shame. Obviously, since Guardiola's been in charge, things have moved on very smoothly to uh, a completely different level. City are now seen as um, uh, obvious contenders each year as the competition starts, and rightly so. Um But, you know, back to the the old story, we have to um, come good on that, I think.
2: Yeah, you you mention in the book um, that uh, you can kind of split City fans into into three kind of portions. Um, The ones who believe it's cursed and they'll never win anything in Europe. uh, The ones who believe it's inevitable, it's, you know, with the resources they've got and the manager they've got and and the players they've got, it is inevitable that they'll win it eventually. And uh, the others who I would class myself in, um, as uh, I don't really care whether they win it or not, as long as they win the uh, the domestic stuff. So, uh, where 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 do you fall on that spectrum?
0: Well, I used to be in one group and now I'm in another. I think you know I always used to think we were cursed and and that nothing would go right. I've seen so many disasters um, down the years, but that that old you know I'm even loath to call it typical city because it. it almost doesn't exist anymore you know even our typical city moments these days you know the villa Villa game last season the qpr game um on, on the edge of disaster we're now pulling it round each time um so i would say there's nothing really inevitable in football i, I guess but it, it's as, as near to a certainty as you can get that city will within three or four years i think um probably get their hands on this thing um, if they don't then it's going to make a uh, for an interesting story because you know our, the way we've missed out on it so far in recent years is already pretty bizarre um, so I think it would need a, a, a continuation of, of some pretty bizarre occurrences to to stop a team like City finally getting there
2: Simon it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure where can people uh, buy the book if they uh, if they want to to, to read some more uh, yeah, it's in the club shop. And
0: uh, if you miss out on that, then obviously, Watterson's in town have got uh, plenty of copies as well.
1: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
2: That was Simon Curtis talking about his new book. Um, Let's finish with uh, some listener questions. Get them in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. That's how Anna has got in touch. We were going to do this one on last week's show, but we ran out of time. And then with the game being uh, cancelled at the weekend, uh, it's given us the perfect opportunity to return to it. So Anna says, I came away from the Villa game pretty disappointed, if I'm honest. I know we've had a good start to the season, but we've got away with dropping points by other teams not capitalising. I know Pep's teams can take a short while to click going into a season but it feels like a slowish start despite being second with the world cup in the middle of the season it feels like a season of two halves and we don't know how that will affect city's momentum how important is it to get into rhythm quickly this season and what do you think our expectations should be for where we are when we pause um so just to, to kind of give you a, a an idea of where city could be um at the moment they're second in the table they're a point off the top they've got 14 points arsenal have got 15 uh now because of rearranged games and because of uh, Games being cancelled. The games that City have got before the World Cup are Wolves away, United at home, Southampton at home, Liverpool away, Brighton at home, Leicester away, Fulham at home, and then Brentford at home. There's a maximum of 24 points available. They could take they could get to 38 points before the World Cup. um mako what's your, what's your gut instincts for this? Where where do you think we should be aiming to be uh, by the by the time the World Cup comes along in terms of uh, in terms of points?
3: Well, we're not. We're... They're all winnable, aren't they? I mean I mean even the, the Liverpool one because it, other things come into <laughs> the dark arts come into come into play when you go to Anfield. But so I'd take a point at Anfield. But the other all of those are very, very, very winnable. So yeah, I think we've just got to aim for that. But um I mean it is quite strange though, because I mean put you put yourself in a in the place of some of these players who were going to the World Cup. A few weeks before, there's a fifty fifty there. Are you really going to throw yourself in there? If you're feeling feeling a bit your hamstring and then it's it's just all a bit it's it's all a bit strange. And then when well and then going back to when they come back, people are gonna be injured, people are gonna be knackered, it's just gonna be skewed. I think it's just gonna skew the whole season, to be honest.
2: Yeah, I did look when I looked at the fixtures originally Paul. Um there was an Arsenal um um game in there as well where I thought that'll be tricky given how they've started the season. Obviously looking at Liverpool thinking that's tricky. Mm. We've already mentioned my thoughts on the Wolves game this weekend that I think could be <laughs> tricky. Um the Manchester derby is is one of those where you go, okay, United are crap, but then every now and then they pull out a result and that's a that, that that's annoying. Brighton I had down as a tricky game, but then, you know, the manager's gone off to uh, to Chelsea so we don't know what they're going to be like. Maybe maybe we should be a bit more optimistic than I am being
4: right now. I think so. I mean, if we get 38 points, that keeps us out of the relegation zone, doesn't it, hopefully? <laughs> season, so have <laughs> just got to think, I'll get to that 38, yeah, 40 point get, mark. Get safe, yeah. Yeah, no, no I am I agree. The first few games, I was a bit concerned. Something wasn't quite clicking. The Aston Villa game was, was, was very strange. But our main competitors, you know, Arsenal, it's a big step up for them from where they were in the previous season. Can they maintain it? city have kind of never really had the under the pep they never really had that big dip they kind of they've kind of sustained the level throughout the season and gone on runs but because liverpool have been quite poor and i think we don't know what to expect of united yet chelsea have obviously had a change in manager i think we're in quite a good position really i think yeah. it's it's only going to get better we're only going to click a bit more bernardo is obviously staying which is a big 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 plus um you know, Phillips has looked good when he's come on, and then Haaland's obviously made a massive difference. Alvarez has slotted in. We've changed a lot of key players from the first sort of thirteen, fourteen people plays that, that play in each game, and I think it's been about as seamless as it can be. I think
3: for us to still for for us to be second by a point. Yeah, I mean, I I with the with the Villa and Newcastle games again, I'm fairly relaxed about it. I think it was just one of those. I mean, with the Villa one, I think. Half five kickoff on a Saturday, they were all up for it, the fans, and it just kind of seemed to snowball. Don't get me wrong, we should have killed the game off. But it just snowballed, and you knew they were gonna score. It just felt like one of those games where they're gonna score, but and, and it, it was what it was. We Newcastle, similar, the the fans were all over us, it was just all all, all against us, and it was building and building and building. And I took a massive positive from that. Then we actually actually came away with, with something from that. Um so yeah, I'm, I think I'm turning into some kind of happy clappy. <laughs> 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 We've broken you, Maka. <laughs> I know, yeah. But um, yeah, I've not. I, let's put it this way: I've not seen anything this season yet that would really, really worry me. Yeah, I've seen, it, a, I think a, they... a lot more that a lot more positives.
2: And I think, as, as Paul said, um, uh, the fact that you would have said before a ball was kicked this season, Liverpool would be City's main title rivals. The fact that they've, they've had a really bad start to the season and are and a playing catch-up. You know, United uh, uh, are a new kind of entity there. I, I can't see them being in the title race by the end of the season. If it is, uh, you know, the, the top three currently Arsenal, City, Spurs, if it is those three kind of going towards it towards the end of the season, then there's only the one team that's got the experience there. So I, I think that'll be a, a really key factor.
3: Well, it's massive as well. The Arteta art at United, I mean, that just shows you how good Guardiola is. Because, And I don't understand how somebody who's actually kind of studied the inverted commas under... Guardiola did what he did. Um, they went two-one down. They were, the, they were the best team. They were playing well. There was twenty minutes left, and he's just abandoned everything and basically just thrown a load of attackers on. <laughs> and he was like, "No, just keep playing. I've, I've, I've faith in it and just keep going." And that, so yeah, I've, I've actually no no problem with that. They'll 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 fold. Um, Spurs could be interesting. They're decent. Yeah. Um, and to be fair United could be interested you never know but yeah. I can't see it but um, yeah but I, I, it's always going to be Liverpool it's always going to be Liverpool at the moment and they're miles off
4: yeah, are yeah. Miles if, if City's maintaining that sort of 93 plus points type tally I don't know who's making that step up in golf which, out yeah. of anyone that's not Liverpool
2: yeah
3: well especially if more people are taking points off each other mm. as well
2: yeah, that'll absolutely so, help as yeah. well, won't it? Yeah. Right, well, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. I'm David Booney. Thanks to Paul Atherton. Cheers, Moons. And to Maka. Cheers, Moons. Join me again next week to review the game at Molyneux. See you then. That was
1: the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can and don't forget you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's.
6: That commentary is definitely then that commentary from Clive Tilsley. That's like the soundtrack of my Teenage years. <laughs> um, even now, you know, I can still remember it. Palace full stretch, missed it. All for it, one 0 and the, and yeah. obviously the last one as well, which was you know iconic commentary, I suppose, for City fans for um, for the Hinchcliffe bullet header. Yeah, chance but, at the far uh, post. That's the that's yeah, the line, yeah. isn't Early it? Cross, yeah, cross chance at the far post. Hinchcliffe, that's just marvellous stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hold on! I've got, a, <laughs> I've got a, a contributor in the form of my husband walking past it, he it as well, very distinctly. So it was, um, yeah, what what a fantastic day for City fans. And I remember, and again, you're probably too too young for this, but older fans will remember. I recorded it on kickoff, and then on the on the video cassette, if you didn't want anybody to tape over that tape, because oh, you, you
2: used you, to push you know, the thing in, yeah, yes.
6: VHS cassettes you could push it and then nobody would record over it and that was um, that was a common um, treat, three, uh, threat in our house that somebody would just go oh this is on I'll just select any tape and put it in and record it but yeah I actually adjusted the cassette so nobody could, uh, could tape over it.
1: You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode.